welcome to the Relationship Recovery Podcast, hosted by Jessica Knight, a certified life coach who specializes in narcissistic and emotional abuse. This podcast is intended to help you identify manipulative and abusive behavior, set boundaries with yourself and others, and heal the relationship with yourself so you can learn to love in a healthy way. Hello, on today's podcast, I have Melissa Basie, who is a Calgary-based psychologist and life coach. She focuses on attachment-based therapy and emotion-focused therapy. And on this podcast, we talk about insecure attachment styles, how they present themselves, and how they come up in abusive dynamics. We also talk about how you can begin to unravel the anxious attachment style, which is one that I resonate and I know so many of my listeners do. As a reminder, you can always find me at emotionalabusecoach.com, Instagram at emotionalabusecoach, and I have a series of courses online and one-on-one sessions that can all be found on my website. I hope this episode is helpful for you. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Can you share with us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So my name is Melissa Basie and I'm a registered psychologist and I'm also an attachment coach. So basically I help people who are in tricky relationships, who are struggling with kind of push-pull dynamic and I help them get grounded and centered around what they need to do and then what they need to do in order to stabilize their relationship. And when you say stabilize their relationship, would that be in like an abusive situation or is that for what you would call like a healthy relationship where, you know, abuse isn't present? Abuse would not be present, but it certainly wouldn't be called a healthy relationship either because Mm -hmm. both people would be struggling with an insecure attachment style. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let's dive in to attachments because that's what I wanted to focus on with you today and to better understand them. Can you just start by telling us what the attachment styles are? For sure. So we have secure attachment and insecure attachment. And about 50% of the population falls in the secure category and about 50% falls in the insecure category. And then within insecure attachment, we have anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So disorganized is the smallest subcategory. It's about five to 6%. And then the other two anxious and avoidant are about split down the middle and anxious and avoidant usually pair up together. So an anxious attachment style is when you're feeling needy, feeling insecure about the relationship, constantly needing reassurance, wondering what your partner is doing, where they are, these kinds of things. And avoidant is when you're withdrawn you're emotionally shut down, you're unable to meet your partner where they're at emotionally, and it's just more of like a shutdown mode. And then disorganized has a little bit of both. So it's like, I love you, but get away from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like a real push pull within the person of they want to be close, but they can't handle the closeness. Yeah. So for a disorganized person, they would like pull somebody in and then push them away. Exactly. You said that anxious and avoidant usually pair up together. That sounds like a recipe for your toxicity. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
So actually, before we go there, let's define what secure attachment is. So that way we have that frame frame of reference. How do you define secure attachment? Yeah, so secure attachment is when both people are able to feel calm, connected, centered around each other. They're not needing each other to boost them up or there's not like a codependency where they're overly reliant on each other emotionally. It's just two autonomous people coming together and forming a healthy relationship. And so in a secure attachment or in a secure relationship, it's like those two would feel comfortable speaking about their needs. And if they were feeling avoidant or anxious, they would probably be able to address that up front. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so a lot of people that I work with that are in either abusive situations or they're in narcissistic relationships or personality disordered relationships, they typically, they're presenting very anxious. You know, they want to be avoidant probably. They think the relationship could be secure. It's obviously not, but they present very anxious and get very judgmental of themselves and how they're showing up. But in these situations, like I'm thinking about one client specifically, the relationship almost perpetuates the anxiety at times that, you know, Mm -hmm. she probably has an anxious attachment style anyway, but the person is also promoting behaviors that if like she doesn't respond immediately, there's a consequence to that, whether it's stonewalling or anger or something like that. When Mm -hmm. somebody is identifying as anxious and you meet them and they're, you can tell that there's also like toxicity in the relationship. Mm-hmm. How can somebody just take a step back and see like, and I'm thinking about the patient, not as us looking outward in of like, I run anxious. I've always been anxious. I feel this way, but this relationship is also perpetuating all of this. I think when we're in those situations, the person most likely, and this is what I see at least, is that they blame themselves regardless. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it definitely perpetuates. So when a person is becoming avoidant, the other person is going to react anxiously. But that same person who's reacting anxiously in that avoidant dynamic could get into a relationship with another avoid or another anxiously attached person and they themselves become avoidant. So it's really interesting how the attachment styles can be fluid based on who you're in a relationship with. And so if we get into a relationship and we realize, okay, I'm the avoidant one, mm-hmm. what can somebody do? I mean, I, I'm guessing it takes a lot of self-awareness for somebody to actually name that they're avoidant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so if they do notice that and they want to work on that, what are some things that they would need to start to think about? So at the core of being avoidant, is also anxiety. So obviously an anxious attachment style has anxiety, but also an avoidant attachment style has anxiety as well. The reason that they are becoming avoidant is because it brings up anxiety to be too close and too connected to the other person. So what they would want to be doing is working on regulating their nervous system so that they can show up in a less anxious way and therefore behave less avoidantly. Did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And now if somebody's identifying as anxious and they're trying to understand, like, how can I begin to unravel this? Something that I've noticed a lot of people struggle with, and I've struggled with this myself because I do identify as more anxious attachment. 
it creates a lot of self-judgment of like, why do I have to be this way? Why do I feel this way? Because moving through that anxiety is miserable. Mm-hmm. And so when you have someone come to you and they're really trying to unravel that, what are some strategies that you recommend that help them understand where they are and maybe release some of the judgment before they begin to work through it? Well, oftentimes somebody who's anxiously attached and looking for help, what they're needing is to learn how to reconnect to self. They are often self-abandoning and they are focused way more on the other person than they are on themselves. They're focused way more on what the other person is thinking, feeling, doing. And that all comes at they're sacrificing really themselves to care more about the other person. So there's a little bit of fawning involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so what we would need to do together is get them back into caring about themselves, who they are, what their goals are, what their dreams are, and getting back to who that person is and reconnecting, building self-love, building self-worth. These would all be strategies to get an anxiously attached person to become a more securely attached person. You mentioned fawning, and I think that that was a really good connection there. Can you just explain quickly what fawning is? And just in case somebody doesn't know. Yeah. So fawning is basically forsaking yourself for the good of the other person. So going the extra mile for people, overextending yourself, being too available to their whims. And that's something fawning comes also from a dysregulated nervous system. So what we're going to be needing to do is get the person into regulation, get their nervous system regulated so that they don't default to a fawning response. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of abuse victims that I see, of course, we feel like we're in flight and freeze often, but I don't think a lot of people realize that how often they could be in the fawn response and how normal or like a normal way of operating that has come for them just to like as a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that it's like, it's huge. I see it all the time. And I think that it can just be it's like, oh, well, if I just do this, then this will happen. Or like, I think that I like that you touched on the availableness because if they're not, then that just activates that anxious attachment again. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I know that this is a complex question, but I've had clients ask me, is a narcissist avoidant? And when they ask that, usually my answer is, well, it's like, there's not like they're avoidant or they're anxious. They could be anything. What do you think a narcissist typically is? What would their attachment style be? So a narcissist can fall into any of the attachment styles. They're probably not going to be securely attached, Mm -hmm. but they could easily be anxious, avoidant, or disorganized. It just kind of depends on how theirs shows through. Because if you think about what's at the root of being anxious, avoidant, or disorganized is anxiety. And so a narcissist has a decent amount of anxiety where they are concerned about what other people think of them. Their egos are very fragile. If they feel cut down in any way, they feel overly attacked so much more so than what somebody who doesn't have narcissism would feel. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's fascinating because, and I think a lot of people probably feel like these topics can be so complex when we start to unravel them and then Mm -hmm. see that there's all these various things kind of at play. There's no simple answer, no simple solution. There's a lot going on. And that's Mm -hmm. what probably makes it so complicated to understand. 
I think even in asking that question, is my person a narcissist or are they avoidant or anxious? It's still, it's fawning Mm -hmm. because leaving yourself and caring more about what the other person is, more about their attachment style, more about what's going on with them and less about self and what's going on with me and how do I get grounded and centered and how do I find a more self-loving place to exist in? Yeah. And so would you say that if we wanted to work on whatever attachment style we are and to begin to become more secure, it would be about aligning some strategies and like kind of getting really honest with ourselves about our self-worth and our Mm self-esteem. I'm having a hard time phrasing it, but I'm going to try and rephrase it. I'm going to give an example of what I mean. When I was healing from my last relationship, Mm -hmm. one thing that I realized was, and this is when I was still in the relationship and I knew it was unhealthy. I just was having a really hard time getting out. I realized Mm -hmm. that a lot of the behaviors that were happening were highly unhealthy. And that's the word that I remember using. And then eventually I started using secure because I was able to see a few more things, but that came later. But it would Mm -hmm. be like, okay, like a healthy person would do this. A healthy person would do this. And then it was for their behaviors, but then I also started doing it for my own. Okay, in a healthy relationship, I would be able to do this. I'd be able to say, please don't speak to me that way or please don't raise your voice or I don't think that, what do you think? You know, I would be able to express myself and I was so far away from that that I knew it wasn't healthy. And so it was a lot of that self-talk to be able to take a step back and be able to see what was happening. Mm -hmm. And when I think about like moving more towards secure, I've read a lot of content online or like follow some people on Instagram, like the secure relationship. And Mm -hmm. she talks a lot about like what secure would look like. And that was always like a light bulb moment for me of, I want to get myself there. It felt so hard to work through the anxiety and Mm -hmm. any strategies that I leaned into to work through my own anxiety it's almost like I needed to create new ones all the time because it was like my anxiety would like, it would almost like, no, it'd be like, okay, I figured out how to work with this one now. And so I have to like, keep going. If you have someone who's just like, they're super stuck and some of these strategies aren't landing, how can they move through it slower to get from being super anxious, closer to secure, even be able to identify what secure looks like? Yeah. So that's where I really work with the nervous system. And so the way the nervous system works is it's the longest nerve in our body. It's called the vagus nerve. And it runs from the base of our brain all the way down to the base of our spine. And it hits all the major arteries along the way. So this vagus nerve is attached to everything. And depending on where this vagus nerve is activated, is dependent on how we are going to be feeling, whether we're feeling calm and grounded or whether we're feeling anxious in a fight or flight or whether we're feeling down and depressed and in a total shutdown mode. And fawning, by the way, happens right in between the anxious and the down and depressed. So that's kind of a middle response in between those two, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of like, I've seen a lot of books about the vagus nerve and I really, I think I've have a hard time wrapping my mind around like the influence of it or I even had like, I worked with an acupuncturist for a while and like she said something to me once like, I'm thinking about your vagus nerve as, um, you know, she wasn't focusing on like that. There was other parts of my body. I, I was there for anxiety and yeah. she was like, I'm thinking about your vagus nerve, which felt very like, you know, manifesty or just like trying to tap into some of that energy. And I remember feeling like that sounds really interesting, but this topic feels really complex. It's actually pretty simple. It's really mm-hmm. just where the vagus nerve is activated. So when the vagus nerve is activated up towards the top of it, 
So around the stem of the brain, around the throat area, around the upper chest, that's when you're going to feel calm and connected. When the vagus nerve is activated around the mid-chest upper stomach is when you're going to feel anxious. And when the vagus nerve is activated at the base of the spine, that's when you're going to feel down, depressed, hopeless. Got it. Yeah. And so when people are struggling with anxiety and they just can't get regulated, more often than not, it's because they're trying to do it through their brain. They're trying to think their way out of it. They're looking for mental strategies to try to talk themselves out of feeling anxious. And that's not how we get rid of anxiety. The way we get rid of anxiety is by going into the body and listening to the physical sensations that are coming up around the anxiety. So oftentimes, anxiety is going to come with a super tight chest or some knots in your stomach or something like that. And so that's where I get my patients to go is really going down into the body, feeling into that tightness and giving that tightness a voice. So even just asking it, I just get them to ask in their mind, like asking what's going on for you, what's bothering you right now. And the tightness will usually say something and it's all just done quietly. We're not doing any of this out loud. The tightness will usually say that it's feeling alone. Mm -hmm. And it usually, what it's needing is support and validation. So if you can go in and interact with your anxiety on a physical level, you feel it in your body while you're speaking to it, and you're validating it and telling it it makes sense that it's feeling the way it's feeling, it'll really calm down. It's like soothing a child. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm a, I'm a single parent to a six-year-old, so I experience the whole entire range of emotions, the whole wheel every day. <laughs> and this morning, she actually, like, she was very angry. And I was like, I didn't understand why, because it was like an easier morning. But, you know, but on the way to school, it was just like, she was frustrated and then angry and then didn't want to hold her backpack and then like wanted me to hold her hand a specific way. And I remember being like, she's anxious, but I don't know why. Like I can tell that there's something like she's not mad. She's mm-hmm. presenting mad. It's interesting. So like I sat her down and I did almost like exactly what you said. I was like, I sat her on like a step on the walk to school and I was like, Charlotte, just like, what's going on? And she was like, nothing. And I'm like, what's going on? She's like, nothing. And I'm like, okay. She goes, I don't want to go. And then she like opened up about like a friend that hasn't been there that she misses because she feels alone. And mm. I was and like, and it was like this like unraveling and she just needed to calm down and get back into her body. Now yeah. that you say that, that's probably exactly what was happening. Like the trauma response was like that fawning of like, I'm just going to be mad and frustrated because that's how I do. And like, my, you know, the fi- or even actually fight, right? You know, and then flee of like, I just don't want to go to school. Like she also lied and said she was sick and she wasn't. I was like, if you're sick, that's okay but I am going to be working all day. Are you sure you want to be home? It's going to be so boring. And then it was like, no. Mm. And so I think that like if we as adults can do that to ourselves, which like we often don't, you know, like we're so kind to like our children, but not ourselves of like, what is mm. actually going on? And then the asking ourselves over and over again. Yeah. Um, if you are working with somebody who is afraid to go into their body because that's just a scary place, Do you just start with the brain first? No, then what we'll do is we'll unpack why it's scary to go in the body. What's scary about it? Where do you feel that fear? What is that fear telling you? What is it saying will happen if you go into your body? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so even that, they'll shut down to that. 
And that's okay. Then yeah, we can just do other things. We can just talk about like what's happening in their day-to-day life right now and how it's impacting their day-to-day life. But then slowly again, we'll circle back around to going into the body. I have lots of patients who struggle to go into their body. So it just takes a little bit more gentleness, slowness to go in because a lot of people aren't taught how to tune into their body. It's not something that our parents passed down to us. Certainly, they didn't ever learn it. So it's a foreign concept to feel these feelings of anxiety, frustration, everything your daughter was feeling this morning, Mm -hmm. and to go into the body and be like, oh, hello, tight chest or knots in my stomach or whatever, and interact with those parts of ourselves. It's a foreign concept to go inward. It's Mm -hmm. more a normal thing, what people typically do is go into their mind and be like, okay, how do I solve this? What do I do? And they try to get together a game plan, which totally just overrides why it's all happening in the first place. And so usually it won't work. When we try to think our way out of anxiety, it usually just gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite strategy for working with anxiety? Like one thing somebody can go outside of the session a strategy that they can use or lean into or try at home? So that would be my favorite strategy is to get them to pay attention to where they're feeling the anxiety in their body and to really focus on their body when they're feeling super triggered and flared up. Mm -hmm. So just really focus on that tightness in the chest, really focus on how big or small it is, if it's moving, if it's got different shapes, sizes, colors, and just really get mindful about what's going on in the body and get curious and taking kind of that really non-judgmental stance around the physical sensations in the body that works so well. Yeah. So I want to touch on, especially before we wrap up on how people can begin to work towards what healthy looks like. I know a lot of people that I work with Mm -hmm. really have no idea what healthy looks like anymore. I remember feeling exactly the same way, especially when you're in a toxic relationship or you've been trauma bonded to somebody and healthy and secure seem to align. Before we got on, you and I were talking about some ways in which that you go about, like, you know, you help clients think, well, some things that you help clients think about, how do you help people or what is actually your theory around beginning to move towards healthy, even just mentally within ourselves, like, or beginning to believe that we can have that healthy relationship? Yeah. So we start to come into more of a state of mental health when we start to leave worrying about what the other person is doing so much and what they're thinking and why they did what they did and when are they going to text back and all of the anxious thoughts that we have. And we come more into what's going on inside of me right now. Why is my chest tight right now? Why do I have a pounding headache? What is my poor body going through that I need to support it through? That mm-hmm. kind of move it, shifting more into a self-focus around how you can regulate your nervous system and how you can get into a more securely. Basically, what you're wanting to do is become your own secure base. That's how you heal your attachment style, by becoming your own secure base. And the way you become your own secure base is by tuning inward, going into the body, listening to it, validating it, being gentle and kind and loving with it. And by doing all of that, you're building self-worth and higher self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Becoming your own secure base. That's definitely, I think, a goal that a lot of us have. 
So if somebody is listening to this and they want to find you and learn more about what you do, can you share like if you have any social media profiles and how they can contact you? Sure. So if they go to the website, attachmentrecovery.com, they can download a free guide on attachment trauma. I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. And currently my name is Attachment Recovery on Instagram and YouTube, but I might actually just change it to my actual name, Melissa Basie. So we'll see where I go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if they look up your website, they can get there. You know, um, and I, as always, I'll put all of your links in the show notes so that people can find you and learn more about you and what you do. That's so awesome. It was so nice to talk to you today. Such an interesting conversation. You too. Um, Thank you so much for being here. And I'm sure people are going to come and follow you because you provided so much insight today. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 